a seat to the bar and join us for another episode of McAnally's Pubcast, a podcast exploring the fun and fantastical mind of Jim Butcher's The Dresden Files series. Hosts Tansen, Jess, and Maggie bring you another round of literary analysis on this immense, immersive, and colorful environment inhabited by Harry Dresden, the world's only licensed private investigator and professional wizard. Join an active and engaged community of new and diehard dedicated fans focused on the fabulous themes, theories, characters, context, lore, and more. This is McAnally's Dresden Files podcast, brought to you by Free Flow Rambling. Conjure by it at your own risk. Welcome to the McAnally's podcast, brought to you by Free Flow Rambling. This is episode 12.21, Cabrini Conflict, where we are covering the novel Blood Rites. My name is Tanzan, and I'm joined by Maggie. Hello, hello. And Jess. We've become bored with watching actors give us phony emotions. We're tired of pyrotechnics and special effects. While the world he inhabits is, in some respects, counterfeit, there's nothing fake about Truman himself. Chapter 29. Ebenezer picks up Murphy and Dresden. En route to meet up Kincaid in Cabrini Green, Harry updates Murphy on the Black Court Vampire's information from Bob. Once there, Murphy and Dresden go first to meet Kincaid and prepare for the invasion. However, once Ebenezer comes with the truck, there is an immediate conflict between him and Kincaid. See? Murphy grabs a gym bag out of the car because she's prepared. She's got to change her clothes. They head out to Ebenezer's truck. And the first thing she sees on taking in is, you're kidding me. <laughs> and he's like, makes a fair point. Like, you want, you want to show up in your car? And her whole thing, right? She's like, what does it run on, coal? Like, no idea. But mostly I just turn it loose and let it fend for itself. <laughs> right? Murphy and Ebenezer are like a little bit rather cold and sarcastic to and one I mean, another. And I mean, Murphy's coming off this whole family conflict thing. She is a little, you know, and then Dresden kind of, in a necessary way, and she understands, but Dresden kind of stomped her down, like, you can't go calling in the cavalry, you can't get a bunch of cops killed, you gotta do it my way. So well, it's really when she hears him say sir that she's like, oh, the honorific has just blown her mind. And she completely is, changes her tune. actually, like, is not saying it, like, sarcastically or... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, she's having all her little tiff and all her little spat. And, you know, he introduces, like, this is my teacher, blah, 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 this is care. And, I mean, even Ebenezer's like, oh, I heard about you. You're the one who keeps getting him in all kinds of trouble, right? And she's like, well, who the hell are you? And, like, this is my teacher. <laughs> And she instantly, the second she sees him using so, she's like, all right, hello, Mr. McCoy. She dropped her bag. Hello. (laughs) She's like, what? She doesn't see him pay much respect to anybody. So to to see that is just like, what? Yeah. Holy shit. This guy pulled a satellite out of the sky. (laughs) Be nice. (laughs) (laughs) This guy saved me from getting my head chopped off, okay? (laughs) So, yeah. And she even gives him heck about, like, do you even have a driver's license? Like, when was the last time you drove on Chicago roads? (laughs) Good point. (laughs) But it is fair. Uh, She's just always such a cop. Yeah. And he he backs down immediately. uh, The fact that he's like, yeah, sure, you can drive, whatever. I am old. (laughs) Well, no, but at that point, it is Dresden, right? Dresden is like, okay, sir, she knows. And then she's like, whoa, sir. And he's like, okay, she does know the city. So he's like, okay, fine. Right? So... Yeah, exactly right. Gives in easily, though. I like it. He doesn't keep up with the whole macho, I'm the man, it's my car, you're not going to tell me what to do. He's like, all right, fine, well, fine. yeah. If e- anything, he's just slightly amused by the whole yeah. thing. He's like, mm-hmm. Ebenezer okay. is an old coot, but he's also not like a super stupid old coot. And not particularly chauvinistic, because again, as we've seen in the wizarding world here, you know, the captain of the guard and stuff like that is a woman and blah, blah, blah. They can give as good as they get the other side of the Women can pencils. have superpowers, too. Exactly, right? You know? So, yeah, while he is, as you say, that, that chauvinistic male, I won't. So, yeah, he's he's smart enough to know when to give, give in. in to other people's strengths and whatever. So And it obviously does help that Harry is, you know, applying honor to both sides. Yeah. Murphy's getting respect, Ebenezer's getting respect, and both of them are like, okay. <laughs> yes. So, yes, you're right. She tones it way down real fast. And, yes, Mr. McGoy, well, I, I do know the streets better. And <laughs> yeah. Murphy very efficiently gets them to Mavra's lair while Dresden updates Murphy on the vampire lair. What's the quote that Murphy says exactly? About which there's a lot of them. Driving? If you don't mind, Mr. McCoy, I know the streets better and there are lives at stake. 
And then she does the most illegal driving ever. <laughs> the next street, she knew the streets of the old town as well as anyone had ever seen, and she regarded niceties like red lights, one-way streets, and right-of-way with an almost magnificent lack of concern. So Ebenezer could have just drove anyways. <laughs> no, but this is the thing, because she knows him so well, she knows which streets she can drive down backwards at this time of day going the wrong way on a one-way. <laughs> Her eyesight means she's going to avoid pedestrians. Exactly, yeah, quite funny, though. But, <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, there's lives. I'm day. a better driver than you. <laughs> does whatever the hell she wants anyways. Right. And yes, she does have the badge. She's not going to get a ticket. This is official. I need to do this. Even though I'm sure without the lights, you can't just do whatever you want when you're an off-duty cop. Yeah, but no. You're, at least I feel like... you're still subject to the law. I think she could theory. get out of it, though, easily. And be like, oh, undercover mission. Ha, ha, ha. It, it's got to be like breaking into someone's house, you know? You're like, oh, I'm sorry. Did I just hear someone call for help? Sounds like probable cause to me. Be you know what I mean? I'm sure she could make up something about being on the way to something and didn't have time to call in anybody else. Right. I, I'm I sure she know, could get out but... of it, but I still feel like, what were you saying a minute ago? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe take some a little leeway on that one. Driving like a, a little crazy. Bit <laughs> and I don't think that these old ass cars are banking all that well. But I also, well, apparently he keeps this thing in stellar condition. Cause I, it doesn't matter. It's not built for. But <laughs> it doesn't corner like it's on rails. I'm gonna say Murphy's also taken all those those cop training courses. Like I watched the rookie and saw when they had to do all the like learning how to slam into other cars to stop them and pit stuff maneuver like that. Certified. Pit maneuver, that's the word I was looking for, pit, yeah. So, thank you. So, you know, she's also got that going for her that Ebenezer doesn't, so, you know, yeah, she's like, I know how to do a fucking cop chase <laughs> and, and not hit the things I don't want to. I hope Murphy is hit so <laughs> That'd be awesome. Damn straight. What? Whether <laughs> intentionally or not, after a few gigs with Dresden, she's like, I'm like, unofficially, I might as well just go get the dress. No kidding. <laughs> So, yes, they get there pretty quick. While they're talking on the way, Murphy, when she hears about what's going on in the vampire lair, really wants it to take the route of ethics and law. Unlike Kincaid, who just happens to know the information, <laughs> Murphy still needs to be run down on it. And, and Harry has to remind her that these are vampires and they give no fig about human life, which is, is really tough to prove to a SWAT team and, and, and that would also risk their lives if she called them in. So she really struggles with that. This is a little bit of like full moon Murphy again for a second where she's like, I'm the cop. I make the cop decisions. I'm going to send my boys in. And Harry's like, bro, again, for the millionth time, your cops can't fight fucking vampires, please. It's just, it, it doesn't last long, but it is quick. And Murphy's Not just like, on this level yet. And I mean, again, I think that is a little bit like, right? Maybe emphasizing, you know, that exactly. It's very hard for Murphy to get out of this role. And even four or five, six books later, two years, three years, whatever the literal timeline has been, is that it's still very much against the grain. It's very much against her instincts to take any chances. And the fact and that I get there's Red Cross people and hostages. And she's like, but, 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 Not but. how we do things. I understand too. I, it was this book that mentioned that she's dealing with that troll last summer. Like she, she is sending yeah. in her police guys without Dresden to deal with these non-human issues. Yeah, and taking at them with a human problem-solving agenda. I get that, and obviously we know that being a cop is the most important thing to Murphy and following the rules. That that's what she intrinsically believes. She said that whole thing with pancakes and Kincaid. I do still feel there are certain elements of, you know, every time Harry comes to her and says, hang up the cop badge, now you're a vigilante, <laughs> just come do this, you need to, you know, again, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. take kinda, the boots off and put on like, different. Okay, but then she still is like, but I can't. Yeah, I, I, to a certain point I understand, that's just who she is as a character, that's who she is as a person, that's just her main driving point. You know, skeleton of what creates who she is, but there are certain times too where it's like, Murphy, pay attention, vampires. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, again, I think it probably speaks a little bit to you exactly, because from her perspective, she's like, okay, we can handle the occasional troll on our own. We've taken out a few vampires. We can deal with a werewolf. And he has to be like, no, no, no. Yeah, you can do a werewolf. Remember the Lugaru, you know? Yeah, you can do a weak fledgling vampire. This is the big bad boss of the vampire, you know? I don't know and if you remember how I started this war, but I leveled a mansion. <laughs> but, you know, like, exactly. It's like, she's not always hip to hip with him when he goes up against the big bads, right? Sure, she's dealt with some fairies and some... She has not gone face to face with the fairy queens yet. So, I mean, I think it's sometimes that, too, is that Murphy's like... But I have. How bad could it be? Yeah, and Dresden having to be like, no, 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 you're still dealing with the pawns. Like, we haven't moved up to the, you know, this is magnitudes above what you 
you know, so yeah, it's that reminder that is true. for her too. We that- do watch a lot more significant of Harry's level one, level two, level three, level four. And Murphy's a little bit like, okay, you're here for level one. Okay, you're here for level four. Okay, you're here for level seven. And you forget sometimes that Murphy, her leveling up is a little bit more of that, May or like, may not in between. Hit them. the ground yeah. running every time. Like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> what yeah, exactly. Just Excuse me? That while she definitely is, she's not going by the leaps and bounds that, at least not in the supernatural, she goes leaps and bounds in, in the human world, right? She's got aces on on Dresden oh. for a lot of that stuff, but yeah. And I think yeah, I I forget that she was not there for the fairy war up in the sky. She didn't go to that, and then yeah, you know, in another few books, she, she's being taken to fairyland, and it's like, all right, bitch, we're invading the castle now. Like, wait, what? <laughs> Have fun storming the castle. Yeah, it is funny. Just Harry's all like, all right, I need you. I know, I know, you didn't do. I know you missed the last like three level ups, but let's go right now. Let's yeah, go. yeah, but exactly, she's she's doing that on her own. You know, she's got to take care of a few things that are you know. Off screen to, you know, while he's dealing, like, with the mega next thing. (laughs) For people who played the original Pokemon games to playing the Pokemon games now, used to be if you wanted your Charmander to evolve, you had to battle with your Charmander. And if you wanted your Eevee to evolve, you had to battle with your Eevee. Now your whole party evolves. You can just use Charmander over and over and over again. He's going to get the majority of the points, but the whole party, anyone who's sitting in your pocket, will now also get a little bit. Which has made it so much easier for really weak-ass Pokemon, like, bug types. I can just sit them in my party and have Charmander kill everything, and they all get their points and evolve up to something that they're actually useful for me to use in a party. I don't have to keep fighting with a fucking Caterpie. Oh my god. Don't make fun of me because I forget Pokemon's names. <laughs> I only know Charmander now. <laughs> but Oh, but you yeah, totally... A Butterfree is so much more stronger than You a- read me the Riot Act two weeks ago because I wasn't giving you Pokemon cards for my Happy Meal you, that you had to have. You know you, you collect them, them, and you didn't give them to me. Because you didn't give them to me. If you could oh, still give them to me, fault, then you would. I would have been still mm-hmm. up to date. Uh-huh, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be in fantasy. If you weren't there for the big fight, you weren't going to make it to the end. And now Harry's just like, whatever, we're friends. You, you're we'll strong enough to do this. Let's me. go. I'll just, I'll just give you <laughs> yeah. some of mine. You've leveled up with me. You're just, whatever. If I need you, you're good for this. Let's go. Mm-hmm. They're just going to slap like that charm on the back of her like, okay, you're a level 10 for this fight. Let's go. (laughs) But only when you're here with me. I can't let you remember me level 10 all the time when I'm not there. No, he he does. He's like, all right, you're loose on the world now. Not my problem. (laughs) (laughs) Have fun with those trolls. (laughs) They had to meet Kincaid and Cabrini Green. It was mentioned before Cabrini Green was where the vampires are. And and I did a little bit of research and to to get a bit of a history lesson in Cabrini Green so we know what, what this is. According to Britannica.com, Cabrini Green was a public housing development in Chicago, Illinois. Cabrini Green was once a model of success, successful public housing, but poor planning, phys- physical deterioration, and managerial neglect coupled with gang violence, drugs, and chronic unemployment turned it into a national symbol of urban blight and failed housing policy. In 2000, the, Sh- the Chicago Housing Authority began demolishing Cabrini Green buildings as part of an ambitious and controversial plan to transform all of the city's public housing projects. And the last of the buildings was torn down in 2011. So in, in, in 2004, when Blood Rights was published, they were already a few years into starting to demolish this neighborhood, nowhere near complete. So there would have been lots of destitution yeah. around. Apparently, even to this day, two of the original buildings still exist in that, in that location. Yeah, interesting. The slum is dead. Long live the slum. Right. So I do imagine that Butcher knew about the Candyman connection. Right. Yeah, because that, that, that movie would have come out well before this. Well before. Was. So I imagine that is most likely. I mean, it is infamous, so I guess that just might be right. like just general knowledge about Chicago, but I imagine, yes, Butcher himself was like, you know what is also this is in a Chicago? a great place, this excursion. Where should I send some vampires? It, well, yeah, I think it's really well chosen for layering on horror upon real life tragedy. Totally. I would say, though, if I had to choose between running into the Candyman or Mavra and her Scourge, I think I'd go with Mavra. Well, Candyman, at least you have a choice because you have to say his name several times before it's like he actually appears. It's seven times or something. It's an insane number. Five? Five? Se- I, I don't five? know. Maybe, yeah. I don't know exactly, but it's way more than Beetlejuice. Yeah. It's way more than Beetlejuice. <laughs> One more time. Come on. Oh, God. <laughs> See, Maverick, she, she'll just show up whether you want it or not. Yeah, fair enough. I just I, I just think in terms of what I'd rather be killed by, it's not the Candyman. Right. It's pretty brutal. I don't look like Ooh. that. Yeah, no. I f- you looked it up, didn't you? I just am aware. I'm aware of what the movies are. I've never seen a single one, but I am aware of his killing process. And one of my best friends I am is not, so that's okay. a horror movie. No, I it, no. It's basically it's bloody it's Bloody Mary. It's oh, yeah, bloody I know Mary. that part, but I don't need to know the rest of the details. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I just I personally think becoming a Renfield is uh, an 
nicer option. <laughs> if I were given the chance to, to choose. Know. So when they, they arrive at Cabrina Green, this site is clearly neglected and there's a lack of police presence. What Harry notices is that there's a lack of vagrants. So there's, sh- and there's no street people. Harry explains to Murphy the feeling of malevolence the vampires add to the neighborhood. And Ebenezer figures that the Black Court has been there for at least two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. And this is super tragic to read. Like if you once you know, especially once you know the history of the place. Like so, mm-hmm. you know that these people fear for their lives on a regular basis because it is like really just violence. Bad and wrong side possible. of the tracks. Yeah. And the, and the, but then you add a supernatural presence on top of it that is terrifying and malevolent. Like ooh. yeah, it's just that much more. So yeah, so depressing as it would be to find all these like bums and transients and junkies. There aren't even those. There aren't even any winos or, you know, and Murphy's like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem quite right. And they're a nice little snack. Well, not necessarily. Well, that's what she thinks or, or at first. Ran. Yeah, she's like, oh my God, they've been feeding. Like, there should be these people around. And that's when, yeah, Dresden and, and Ebenezer are like, probably some, but not necessarily. Like, you've been here five minutes and you already feel like the desolation, right? If you were trying to live in it, he's like, I bet you a lot of people have just whether they realize what or why or whatever. He's like, a bunch of them have moved out of the... Yeah, like, the bad neighborhood has become too scary to, you know, and so, yeah, exactly. So, while definitely, I'm sure enough of them have fallen victim to, as you say, late night snacking, the rest of them have just turned tail and got the fuck out of there, because that's, yeah, it's too... And it's come up in previous books, it'll come up in future books that, yeah, even... uh, You can't tell something supernatural, but people just instinctively want to avoid them. The Shadow Man's neighborhood, Victor Sell's neighborhood, same thing. Right. Like this, you know, nice chirpy little urban neighborhood was. There's you can't no put birds. your finger on it, but you don't want to be there. Yeah, this is bad vibes. Something, something, something. Bad is not vibes. good. Unfortunately, being right in smack dab center of Chicago, that makes it pretty difficult to completely avoid. <laughs> yeah. So yes. They decide that they're going to meet Kincaid on foot so that they don't have just some big-ass scary car driving up to him. Well, yeah, right? You know, don't don't spook the trigger man that you've paid to be the trigger man. So, exactly, if all of a sudden things start coming at him that he's not expecting, yeah, he might want to give the heads up that, yo, he's with us. <laughs> That's a good plan. It's a good plan. It's smart. And gives Murphy and, and Dresden a chance for another little buddy-buddy. Right. They- little, little, little chat, little talk, little little pep talk. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's, it's a good establishment and a recall back to what's going on. So while they're while they're walking up, Harry Harry assures Murphy that he knows that she's afraid and that he is too. And through Murphy's admissions, she's not quite over her previous trauma from the nightmare. What if I freeze up again? You won't. It could happen. It won't. I said, you sure? I, I winked at her and twirled my staff in one hand. I wouldn't be betting my life on it otherwise. You've got my back, Murph. Shut up and dance. So yeah, so again, she's like, he's like, yeah, I know you're afraid. And she's like, yeah, I've always been afraid, but this is a different kind of afraid. And I don't like that. And he's like, okay, yeah, gotcha. That exactly. It's a deeper, more intense, like before I was afraid, but excited because I know, you know, what I was going to do. And now she's like, now it's just terror. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, that's a lot harder to get over because I think we've all had those moments too. Like, well, you've got your recital and it's like, you're dreading it. You're like, I hate going up in front of people. I don't, but at the same time, it's like, well, you're kind of excited because now you get to show off. You're like, I've been practicing this piece and, you know, if I do it right, everybody's going to appreciate and I get to show them all the hard work I did, you know, and, and yeah, now she's like, no, now it's, it's not so much that now it's just the fear and more fear and nothing else to balance it out very much ptsd and an unresolved trauma yeah there's this game sons of the forest and it's a really scary game honestly it's a horror game but it starts out just shipwrecked basically and you're on an island and you start building a fort and you've got a crew member that's gone either ptsd or drugs or in like he's just gone crazy he's not okay and you're supposed to protect him and keep him safe while he's not helpful in any way, shape, or form because he's going through this, right? And some people just kill him off so they don't have to protect him anymore. And some people do protect him and whatever. But there becomes a point when you've explored the island and you've explored the forest and you're like, all right, there's nothing going on here. And then you find a cave and you go in the cave and it's like, you just know there is a monster in this cave. (laughs) You're finding bones and you're finding skeletons and you're going deeper and deeper and there's shadows and like footsteps. You can hear things are moving around in the darkness. And you're supposed to keep going forward in this game because that's... Well, it doesn't really That's sound like they're the encouraging right? you. Once you start finding bones and weird sounds, right? you turn around and leave. Let me go back to the sunny beach. <laughs> but it's the same thing. It's like, this is the only way to play the game. And I'm just like, shut off. 
don't want to do this anymore. I don't go forward. And that's how I feel like for Murphy. It's like the only way to do this is to go into that yes. room and fight them. But how the hell are you supposed to do that when you see all the fucking bones littering the ground? Yes, that is very much that way. Yeah, that's exactly what she's looking at. Well, Murphy does finally make the realization that the police would have really been ineffectual in this circumstance. And, and this book has really set a precedence for Murphy's very strong values. But in this section, it also displays that she is observant and smart enough to know when she has to loosen the code that she lives by to, to actually do the right thing. Yeah, it's hard sometimes to, to wrap her head around and have her head and her heart go at, you know, different odd. But yeah, she's kind of taking that step, that battle to... How are we any different from those feds that went crazy trying to uphold the law that they ended up breaking it? we just are, Murphy. I don't, I don't those, agree with that. Those were guy guys. These are like monster guys. Harry's point is that the feds were going against human beings. Yeah. These are, like, that was... Humans who made a deal with the supernatural to go against human beings. These are humans who've kind of got to deal with the supernatural who are going against monsters. Yeah, but I think his point was that the FBI took Wolf Belt to go after, like, Marconi in that. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that's not how you deal. Marconi is just a straight-up gangster. You go straight-up cops to deal with the straight-up gangsters. Right, but the vampires are vampires. And the Renfields are, sad to no say, longer. longer. But not by choice. They didn't. They weren't like, hey, Mavra, want to give me a little bite so I can run around and be a crazy thrall? They did not choose it, but they are, regardless, lost to it. They are, yeah, but that's... And I get, I get why Murphy's so upset, but this whole, like, well, what makes us any better than them? Well, because Marcone was still a person. The Renfields aren't. And that's, you know, a whole theological <laughs> discussion that I won't make. But now I'm confused. I feel like you were arguing against the point, but now you're arguing for it. Oh, I'm... I don't think you were listening to what I said then. No, I just don't think you said the it The right. FBI were humans. Okay, okay, okay. A... I understand what that was. But that's, you said Dresden's trying to make that point, and you're like, mm, I don't agree. But now no, you're agreeing. I don't agree with Murphy. You said they were people. Whatever you said in your sarcastic voice was the part I didn't agree with. Okay. I'm editing this one. It all sounds smart as fuck, and you won't. <laughs> so th there's a really great passage in here about like how she's kind of struggling. For as long as I've known her, Murphy had held up the law. She had a good head on her shoulders when it came to the nature of good and evil and right and wrong, but her first duty had been to the law. She'd believed in it. It was the best way to help her and protect her fellow man. She'd had faith with that power of the law, while imperfect was absolute, almost holy. This totally just reminds me, it, it harkens back a little bit to Harry using the sight on Murphy and he sees her as an avenging angel. Like, this is totally what it made me think of the minute like he put this in there. I was like, ah, with her with the well, flaming The whole cornerstone sword. of a person, right? What is the thing, nature versus nurture, what's intrinsically about them for Murphy, that is being a cop. Yeah. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. She is a cop, whatever it takes to be a cop, whatever it means you've got to do as a cop, that's her basis for life. Mm-hmm. So yes, this whole every week Dresden asking her to be a vigilante does wear on her. And that's, I think, another reason why she's so resistant against it is because, you know, as soon as you blur the line one time, you're going to blur the line a second time. You're going to blur the line a third time. So Murphy's got to actively be enforcing those cop rules when she can because she doesn't want to fall to being the FBI. Oh, well, if it's a takedown Marcone, it's okay. Yeah. If it's a takedown some other random loser. Which is probably why she's so disagreeable to Kincaid's methods because he's just like, fuck it, let's do this in the most efficient Who's way possible. Who's got money? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and his whole take is, yeah, just blow the whole thing up. And she's like, no, we can't because we have to pull out those that, you know, legitimately can be saved and aren't a part of this and da 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 da, da. Also, that's how Harry started a war last time. <laughs> True. <laughs> We're trying to end wars and not create more. I, I like that it harkens back to you for that scene in Malone's bedroom, though, when Harry's got his sight on him and she comes crashing in. And yeah, I get this whole, like, avenging angel kind of view of her or whatever. Very nice little draw into that. Murphy does seem com comforted by Harry's reassurances, and she's good to go now. Except for the matter that she that he kind of points out indirectly that she's still in a floral dress, <laughs> but she looks very good in. And then we get this awkward, intense moment. <laughs> well, he does. He's like, hey, you do look good or whatever. And she's like, really? And then Harry suddenly realizes how uncomfortable he feels because he's not supposed to <laughs> notice Murphy in dresses. And oh, God, his cop Murphy isn't supposed it's to be It's still cute. really cute, though. Her genuine <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. Aww. Yeah, without the bullshit. She's like, thanks. And then they walk up to him to Kincaid. Mm -hmm. Who's driving a white rental serial killer van. Right. Turns out that's a myth. Thank you, Silence of the Lambs, for making that a cultural phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> 
but also his his it comes from an era when they would never think to make a van mini. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, hey, my parents. That's the kind of van that I drew, that my that I grew up with. Yeah, the fifteen passenger van that, or no, might have only been a twelve passenger van that my parents had. Oh wow! Yeah, and we filled up most of it. <laughs> my dad Car used to are big and always get a utility van and then finish the interior himself because he was he mm. was trained to be a carpenter before ever he became an engineer. Right. So he, like he would put walls like like wooden walls up and carpet it with inlay and then put the seating in himself and that's, whether or not it's up to code or not. I'm going to say, not. yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> Seatbelts, huh? I lived. I'm still here. Kincaid suggests mass demolition <laughs> and then followed by an incendiary, burn everything and then another explosive. You blow it up, burn it all down and then blow it up again. Which we, we get this lovely moment here where, where, where Dresden's like, for future reference, I was sort of hoping for a suggestion that didn't sound like it came from that Bolshevik Muppet with all the dynamite. So fun little information here. Do you know the name of that Muppet? It's Crazy Harry. Oh, I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I found this on a Dresden Files Reddit. Thank you, uh, Lord 13 for the insight. <laughs> but I was like, when I read that, I was like, oh, because I was like, who, which, which one are they talking about? And I found that oh, Reddit. I, I was like, that's yeah. awesome. Why would they even make that puppet? Right. <laughs> it's supposed to be for children. Why does that puppet exist? Because it was just funny. <laughs> Why did Bugs Bunny go it was around a blowing everything time. up and dropping people under <laughs> anvils, okay? And Bugs Bunny wasn't for children. That guy's psycho. <laughs> children shouldn't watch that and show. Yeah. Cartoons were very violent back then. No kidding. Oh yeah, and they're so much better now. But okay, but yes, yeah, that whole thing where they have to put in that element, that same thing, all the shit you watched when you were a kid that you just understood a kid, but the parents in the background are going, because <laughs> there's a whole other level to it, you know, it's, it's, yeah, same thing. But blowing stuff up is always funny when you're a kid, so of course they would make that part. <laughs> but they get all of that, and then he suggests that Murphy goes and changes, well, first they want to know, she's like, wait, where are all the red, because he's got the Red Cross van and some uniforms. He's like, where are they all? He's like, I killed and dismembered them. And this is like, that beat, he's like, I'm kidding. And Dresden's like, oh, yeah, 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 I knew. <laughs> I was like, Sorry, where are they? <laughs> yeah, just for the record, 50% of jokes are based in truth, people. Like, this this, and, this and, could have happened. Just, I guess just with King K, it was just funny, because they've had enough, like, he's very, very deadpan and dry humor, but they've had enough back and forth, you know, that it's kind of like, mm, I want to say you're joking, but I'm it's not 100% sure. A little later in this chapter is when you really get funny guy Kincaid, and I'm like, who are you, bro? You suck. I hate you. <laughs> Save the jokes for Harry, please. <laughs> well, I was reading this because I was like, what's a C-note? It's $100. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he bribes him with the C-note, and then I put a little note in here. I was like, I wonder if he'll charge this as an expense to Harry. Yeah. <laughs> and then I kept had... reading. I was like, yeah, he did. Yeah. No, <laughs> I was gonna he add literally, that to he's like, I'm going to add 100 to the bill, and I was like, 100 what? <laughs> As a poor person, I think $100, but maybe it was just 100 grand. <laughs> no, a C-note is a $100 bill. Okay. <laughs> I had to look it up. Yeah, I was curious about that. I was like, what's what's 100 I have to assume it comes because, like, the French in that is C-E-N-T. -E oh. means 100 and a century, right, is 100 years. And so I'm assuming that's where the C-note comes from. <laughs> wow, I don't this know guy's the, old as hell. I don't. It's Latin origins. Latin origins. The term is not that old, Jessica. Maybe not so much around your time, but it's not like it's a extremely ancient. Just people that have them use the term, okay? I can understand why you're not familiar with it. We never handed just $100 around <laughs> to anybody for anything, okay? Usually you're more, you know, you know, like a five spot or a saw buck is more up our alley. I get that, but... Yes. So yeah, it's just a hundred bucks, and he's just I gonna just add it to the bill thinking, along with everything. I wasn't else. thinking of the Roman numeral being a C for a hundred. I was thinking Kincaid was there during the Roman <laughs> times <laughs> and using like possibly a that C coin. No, but no, the term C note has been around for a while. All right, and that's yeah. where I was coming from with that. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. It's, I was like, well, the slang's not that old, but. Yes. But then he also suggests for her to go and change and everything like that. And she wants the keys. And he's like, what for? And she's like, so I can change? And he's like, yeah, I don't know anything we haven't seen before. Well, turns to Harry. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. But again, right, just the point that he's like, that's fine. We've all seen him. Everybody's like, fuck you. I'm not changing in front of you guys. I don't care. You know, like, it's just like so matter of fact that you're fine, sweetie. Just go ahead. It's it. I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> We're all professionals. This whole, like, conversation and how he keeps on, like, using, like, yes, Massa and, like, it, yeah. he's got, like, the most douchiest frat boy vibes ever. He like, sucks. Just, oh, I hate this guy. Just shut up, man. Like, stop. <laughs> but 
that's his whole point, is that, right? Is he's laying it on thick. Just, he doesn't he normally <laughs> He doesn't normally get to back talk the people who have hired him. He's more usually just like, yep, it's yep, a little I'll do bit like Bob. Yeah. I guess a little right. bit like Bob. How people right? just turn into when they're around Dresden. Exactly. It's like he knows what he can get away with. Ivy is so again, while Ivy has access to everything and I'm sure has heard every dirty joke out there, Ivy's still a seven year old girl who likes to, to act like a seven year old child. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, she's got certain job things that, you know, she has to go above and beyond, but she likes to get herself in bed and she like, you know, by seven o'clock and she likes to wear, you know, whatever, right? So it's the same thing. It was like, I can't see him using all, like, he's not going to make dirty jokes to Ivy about, you know, changing in front of people or whatever, you know, right? And this kind of stuff. So it's like, same thing. He's not going to be making like off-color jokes to Ivy the same way about, you know, and again, depending on Yahoo is other, you know, super high professionals that have hired like this. Get it all out now before you go back to her. Yeah, you know, hired assassin, you know, you're not joking around, but he's like, well, I could totally do that with Dresden. Like, Dresden doesn't take anything seriously, so you can already expect me to, you know. It's like, that's what I like, oh, <laughs> But again, it doesn't end there because, like, no, don't look. I blush easily. Blow me, Kincaid. Don't you owe me enough? Like, <laughs> yeah, like you said, just shut up. Stop talking. <laughs> uh, but it is kind of funny, I'll say. <laughs> it's like, Kincaid, Kincaid, Kincaid. Who uh, are you? Yeah. No, I can't tell if I love him or hate him. Like, <laughs> it's both. Oh. You, you absolutely kind of have to have like a bit of both with. Freaking wicked moments where he's like, well, that's awesome, just, I mean, like, Terminator Destroyer. And then he, like, opens his mouth. I'm like, oh, shut No kidding. Well, that's it. It's, and it, it's just because he kind of can't. I mean, like, right? Because he, he doesn't give a shit. You can hire him or not. It's, right? You don't like me, walk away. I'm not here to please you. You know what I mean? It's not like he worries about customer retention or whatever. He's like, do I get the job done or not? You know, like, he's not about the customer service, right? He doesn't have to be. I'm good enough. They don't have a resume for that kind of thing. Yeah, you want my skills or you don't. You know those businesses where you have to sell one product for $100 or 100 products for $1? And he's like, you only gotta, buy, you only gotta hire me once and I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> you pay me a couple million, I don't need to be hired by you a second time. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, right? On the other hand, I'm gonna get your job done so you're gonna wanna come back and give me another couple of million because I'm that my reputation. that bad <laughs> get me hired by the next guy. And yeah, exactly right. So yeah, he's got that great mix of like, it doesn't matter. So he can be totally douchey or whatever. And he's also just so, and I mean, he is witty though. Like it is fast, you know, is the other side of it that he's coming back because that he can't kind of keep up with him, right? So it's like, you can't help but sort of like him and be like, oh yeah. And then just know how god-awful scary he is to, you know i mean even just in the things like he doesn't need to do this big show of power but the fact of like blindsiding dresden into his office and putting him in a circle so he's like this way i'm gonna make sure you can't get the drop on me for anything while we have this conversation oh you stiff me you double cross me no problem i'll take you out oh what about your death curse no problem i got a plan for right you know where you're just like shit like yeah, can I, you can't can't mess with. He's just dude's a dude. Dude's a dude, and he's 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 a ferocious dude. So Ebenezer uh, start, starts to drive up, and Kincaid gets out of the van to meet him, and he's he's described as having an audition for a lead in a John Woo movie. I actually had to look up John Woo because I wasn't sure, and then I realized I did actually know some of the movies: Face Off, Mission Impossible Two, Broken Arrow, Bulletproof Monk, The Lovely Bones. So he, he, like action flex. He is an action hero. Yeah. That's okay. I think I momentarily confused it with John Wick. Same. I think it it gets it still the, applies though. Yeah. Yeah. I was like same accomplishment there. Same. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Woo, not Wick. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Comes out like fucking Terminator slash Rambo slash. As all yeah. of the guns and all Commando the equipment. slash. Yeah. Time stopped for one of those frozen crystallized instants. This is why I think you woke up this morning and had those. Sometimes when you wake up, you just know that there's <laughs> going to be a day. Special kind of day. <laughs> I think you're talking about this moment here. Forget your mom. Forget Thomas. It was for this moment right here. <laughs> Time stopped and they went for their guns. Yeah. Uh, uh moi? Yeah. So Ooh. just as he finally gets around to saying, yeah, because they're like, oh, yeah, the wheel man's going to be up in a minute. So who is this guy? Perfect timing. Let's just roll up. <laughs> This is so like, I wish Ebenezer had a stereo, because this would have been the perfect moment to be like, boom, 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 boom. Like, yeah, but it's Ebenezer, so you know what would have been playing on there would have been like some like way old bluegrass. Hank, Hank Williams. Yeah. Hank Williams thing, <laughs> like original, you know. <laughs> the old man and the mercenary saw one another and stared at each other from maybe seven or eight feet apart. Time stopped for one of those frozen, crystallized instants. 
And then both of them went for their guns. Thank you so much to our Patreon subscribers for your generous support. It's people like you who help us keep doing what we're doing. If you're not yet a Patreon subscriber, sign up today and get a fuck ton of bonus content, kick-ass merch, behind-the-scenes outtakes, and more. Sign up today at patreon.com slash freeflowrambling. Chapter 30. Kincaid and Ebenezer stand off due to a history of bad blood. Dresden talks them down and convinces them to work together. Kincaid assigns weapons to each of them and solidifies what tactics they will use for the attack. Kincaid pulls a gun on Ebenezer in a flash, but one of the rings on Ebenezer's hand flashes, which disarms Kincaid. Nice, uh, that's a nice little Yeah, spell they go on have. this little standoff where all of a sudden it's like, what the fuck? But yeah, while they both draw like instantly, Kincaid's just a bit faster, but Ebenezer's like, fuck this shit. And just like magnetically like jerks his gun out of his hand. Do you <laughs> like, think he has it like on autopilot with his rings or like it, he actually had to engage it? We mentioned a while back that Harry should go around constantly ready to throw out his death curse. Because he never knows when someone's going to try to kill him. And I like to imagine that Ebenezer, Ebenezer that or way. any one of the more senior counsel is just constantly ready. They're like all day long. Like when you're driving and you're like left mirror, center mirror, right mirror, check, shoulder, shoulder, left mirror, center mirror. You've never right. done that in your life. What are you talking about? No, no, no. But for people who actually care about like oh, laws okay, of the sorry. Like sorry. the okay. senior counsel. And oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. They're yeah. just constantly all the time. Like left ring ready to go. Right ring ready to go. Black staff ready to go. This power ready to go. Death curse ready to go. Start over at the beginning. Left, right, center, up, down, shoulder, shoulder, ready, 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 ready. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Yeah. To a large degree. I'm like Dresden, okay? If you hit me with your car, I'll figure it out after. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Turns out Kincaid is prepared anyways and pulls out another gun almost immediately. But Ebenezer already has a shotgun aimed at him. They're both psychos. Dresden, where the ball throws himself between them. Right? These trigger-happy idiots, I'm not getting between them. Right? I don't need either one of them in my life that bad. <laughs> yeah, like, there's obvious historic bad blood between the old wizard and the merc. Like, as, as, as quickly mentioned here, <laughs> fuck this guy, fuck that guy. I told you I'd kill you if I ever saw you again. That's why I've been avoiding you till <laughs> now. <laughs> Great line as well, which is why you haven't seen me. <laughs> well, and, and oddly enough, it's Kincaid who's the one that starts talking McCoy down, telling him that they shouldn't, like, hurt Dresden as he gives a half a damn about him. Yeah, as he's pointed out that by throwing himself in between them, he has Kincaid's gun pointed at his spine, and like Ebenezer's at his head. Neither one of those is going to be a good outcome for you. <laughs> like, you would expect, though, that it would be McCoy that would be the one that'd be like, okay, let's like look Don't at reason. But no, it's and, Kincaid. Yeah, but and, then McCain, and Ebenezer's like, like, you give a shit. Because he's like, like, what the fuck do you care? And he's like, well, I kind of like, you know, but he also, you know, with me a bunch of money, that'd be cool. Like, you know. <laughs> to be fair, Kincaid hasn't done the job yet. I don't think Harry owes him the money yet. Well, he's, if things go to shit right now. In the middle of, well, I mean, there's been sort of the prep and planning part, I don't too. Think that's I mean, he really put that extra C funds. note in there, you know. Maybe not the bulk of it, but makes my laugh. But yeah, he's like, like half a damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't want to get the kid hit. Don't call me a kid. I'm not a kid. Yeah, don't talk about me like I'm not here even, right? So... Kincaid calls Ebenezer Blackstaff. Maybe a title? Right. Mm-hmm. Nickname? Huh? Something? With the what? Yeah, do the math, Blackstaff. And Dresden does take a very good leadership role here, talking them both down. He does a good yeah. fucking job. Like, I'm impressed, bro. Actually, yeah, again, given, you know, age and stuff like that, he... For just a kid. For just a kid, just a dumb kid. He's always flying by the seat of his pants. Yeah. He does a really good job of being able to connect to both of them on a level. And I, I appreciate the dressing down he gives Kincaid, too. I respect this man more than anyone on the planet. He took me in. It was a little bit cringe. Not something I'd necessarily say out loud, but I can appreciate the... Loyalty, loyalty that loyalty. Harry has for Ebenezer. Well, and it's effective too. Like, yeah, I'm surprised he put up with it, but he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's it. Yeah, he's like, I'll back down when you know you got my word. And he's like, I'm not giving my word. He's like, I don't want you to give your word to him. You give it to me. <laughs> I imagine this I, is this is my gig here. You both are here for this. Is just. <laughs> 
all of Harry's friends <laughs> whenever they're forced to meet each other. You you hang out with him. You yeah. know them. You're talking to him. I hate this. I hate. Well, it's just very funny. <laughs> they no. It just crosses too many. But I mean, like I said, we even saw a tiny bit of that. I mean, it was mostly, I think, just because she was pissing him off. But, you know, even Ebenezer, he's like, oh, this is Murphy. I've heard about you. You know? Like, Kate, Kate said the same thing to Murphy. <laughs> oh, I heard about this little girl cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, They're both just... Yeah, but I think in a, from a different way, because Kincaid, again, would have heard about the cop and stuff like that, whereas Ebenezer's got no real reason to know Murphy, except through Dresden, right? So, yeah, he knows, oh, you're the one that keeps running around and then getting in trouble, whereas Kincaid is just like, oh, I've heard about this cop that's, you know, but yeah, exactly. It doesn't seem fair to blame it on Murphy. It, oh, it, you're the one running around getting him in trouble. Nope. <laughs> He's the one getting me almost murdered every week, but thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah, but that's all. But yeah, exactly right. It's like they've all got just these bits and pieces on each other and like, oh, you're that one. Oh, you're, this is the guy, <laughs> you know? And it's like, yeah, well, they all have, like, a shred of respect. Because you're like, oh, you're important to Dresden. They all, like, immediately, like, hey, why? Wait a minute. Why do you respect this person? <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? They got so tense there for a moment that Harry almost sold gays Kincaid. <laughs> right? Yeah, dying. Right? And we never quite find out what actually happened. It was just like this little tidbits of dangly information in front of you. Well, hey, yeah. Each other. Hey, can't give it. We can't show your whole hand right off the bat. You got to keep them coming back for more. But this is the other thing, like, how you were saying in the last episode or the one before that, how where it's like, it's all just convenient to the plot. You know, if I need you to be afraid of cars, you're afraid of cars. And if I need you to be like the, you know, best driver in the world, you are for this. But it's kind of a little bit like that with the soul gazes sometimes, because he's like, it only takes like a second or two to fall into them. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I get, obviously, it's one of those things where it takes longer to describe than it. A second or two of intent. Well, that too, but I mean, yeah, but he's had like a few times where him and Murphy like looked at each other and he's like, oh, it's almost getting to that point. And then they like, look, we thank you, Jessica, for the visuals there on the, (laughs) nobody does bug-eyed intensity like you do. (laughs) But you know, exactly same thing, like where he's like, oh, you know, yeah, going after Kincaid. And he's like, he hasn't, where like, yeah, half the time, like when it's Marcone, he just falls into it. No warning, no oops, oh my God. But here he's like. Oh, I could feel like we were gonna start to have, so I quick pulled away before, you know? Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, I like how, yeah, so often it's like, oh, I had no choice. It was just, I turned around and all of a sudden there was a giant soul gaze hitting me in the face. And other times it was like, you know, I thought about it and I looked at him and I considered and I could tell where he was going and he was thinking about that and the other guy was coming in and I'm like, no, I think this might lead to a soul gaze. I'm just gonna look away now, (laughs) you know? It's like the Hercules ring. Well, they're, they're all really kind of aware of each other. Like, Kincaid apparently can already recognize Ebenezer's work from the satellite dropped on Casa Verity. Like, so. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they know each other well enough to be able to recognize. It brings up all kinds of questions. Like, okay, so, like you say, was Kincaid running around when the C-note was actually literally a C-note? And, <laughs> and it know? sounds personal, too, because Kincaid just is like... Uh, like, well, they don't like each other's ethics or lack thereof. Uh, permission to engage in a f- philosophical debate with the hypocrite, sir? Well, yeah. Like, that's, that's like, he's taking things personally. Like, it's not just... And makes no sense to us. Yeah. Because Ebenezer's just a good guy. What do you mean, hypocrite? Uh, Harry like, goes into this whole, Justin Dumore taught me how to do magic, and Ebenezer taught me why. Yeah, it and how to... You have to believe every what day you and You have to... The honorable way, and... Right. This is a great part, because, like, it, it brings up a few things for me. I mean, Justin Dumore had taught me how to do magic, but it was it was Ebenezer who had taught me why. That magic came from the heart, from the essence of what the wizard believed, from who and what he chose to be. That power born into any wizard carried with it the responsibility to use it to help his fellow man. That there are things worth protecting, defending, and that the world would that the world could be more than a jungle where the strong thrived and the weak were devoured. Now, it, it, with this passage, like, it totally struck me that at, there is a particular theme of this book that is about ethics. In particular, some of the titular characters that are outside of Harry himself. So we've got Murphy, who's devoted to the law. We, we've already had that sort of description of how she is, like, wholly devoted to the law. Like, mm-hmm. like almost like a religious figure. And we've, we've already examined how Kincaid, whose values are determined by the person paying the highest bill, mostly. Mm-hmm. Dresden, Dresden we experience by proxy and action. We see his value structure and we also see, see him struggle to follow it in times where he's struck with overwhelming feelings, anger, and violent tendencies. Like just, just, like just now when he's bringing Kincaid down a bit, he has to reel himself back in again. 
Now we're now we're seeing the major influence, which is McCoy, who's taught his beliefs. Uh, the, the, I call them the Uncle Ben beliefs, which is the with great power there must also come great responsibility. <laughs> in comparison to his former former years with Justin, who covets power ex- exclusively, which is also mentioned in this passage. Yeah. So I think like I keep seeing over and over while I'm reading this like a, a snapshot of each character's moral compass. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that's like it's a good it's a good. You're especially laying the groundwork for who these people are. Yes. Uh, totally. Just right out there, enough of the bullshit and small little tidbits. Uh, this is who the fuck this person is. This is what they believe in. This is what they're working towards. This is who they want to be and who they are. Yeah. So not only is it good storytelling, but it's a nice layer like for, 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 for future stuff. Well, and as you said, his anger getting the best of him, we just saw when he was standing over Trixie. I wanted to hurt her. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that if I hurt her, I'd feel good. It was gonna be an yeah. awesome moment. Maybe, maybe I'd regret it later, but right now, right now, yeah, I, like the blood, blood, the power yeah. coursing through me. The what's what did you say? The jungle where the strong thrived and the weak were devoured. Mm-hmm. He's totally hundred percent has to stop and take a moment and be like, human being, I'm a human being. And that's a very like you say running theme in all of this about Dresden being like began because he's got this power and not abusing it because a he just has a lot of it that he could swing around and b because of his rocky start where Justin was just like, yeah, sure, you got it, use it, you know, flaunt it, do what you're right. Living and having, in a gray area and having a lot of temptation. Well, not, yeah, not even some, but yeah, exactly. Just, you know, want, have, take, you know, and, and yeah, and him being like, I, I have more power than most people, so I have to be careful again not to overstep and whatever, right? Just because I can does not mean I should. Well, and and... Part of that is being policed by the white council, and part of that is policing yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, Do sure. Do I just want to give in to this and be this person or not? Well, and as, was it Kincaid pointing it out to him in the office? But, I mean, again, it's, it's the white council, but only if they catch you, mm-hmm. you know, is the other side. So, yeah, Harry's more on their radar. They're more specifically keeping, but exactly, I mean. But at the same time, the rules are quite broad. The rules are quite broad, there, and there's it's, little it's, bits and pieces that Harry, that exactly, he's like, if the white council found out about this, I could be in trouble, but since they're not here right now looking over my shoulder, I'm just going to hope I can get away with it, you know? And Well, and it makes for such better writing to have a character that is not like this superhero and to have them oh, yeah. struggle and see them struggle. Well, exactly, because you know Harry could just go around squishing it. Like, exactly, he could have solved this problem eons ago. Trixie could have walked in on the set, he could have been like, wow, this is a vicious, whiny bitch that is just too stupid to live. Done. <laughs> you know? do you want to like him more but because he, he, t- he does yeah. choose to do the right thing. Because he does. And he and with it. So, and, I mean, so it's a part of the Dresden Files is just come when it comes down to it, it's the ethics. Yeah, it's, the morality. Uh, like yeah. I just said, the whole Felix Caster books, right? He's not an evil guy. He is trying to do the right thing at every book, but his morality or his compassion for his fellow man is a lot lesser than Dresden's. Dresden is constantly like, no, people should not be murdered by vampires in the street just because they went out after dark. That's yeah. not fucking fair to anyone. Whereas Felix Castor is like, bitch, why the fuck did you leave your house in the middle of the night, you dumb fuck? Like, yeah. That's what happens when you leave the house. There's ghosts walking around. There's zombies walking around. That's why I don't leave the house in the middle of the night unless I want to fight with zombies and ghosts. And Dresden is like, that's not fair. Humans should be allowed to go and live their lives. And if a human hurts another human, well, that's Murphy's job. But if a vampire or a troll or a bitch comes up on the man, <laughs> I- <laughs> I've got a responsibility to stop it. <laughs> That's awesome. I like that. Point is, is yeah, fantasy seems to have one of two ways where you're either, you know, it's not our fault. Aliens are invading Earth. That's not my problem. What am I supposed to do about it? And then the characters who are, hello, we have to work for a better tomorrow, bitch. All hands in. Yeah. And Harry's much more of the all hands in. I want to work for a better tomorrow. Issue is, sometimes leveling a city is the easiest solution. And when you've got the power to level a city, you have to constantly be like, Okay, fine. I won't set the building on fire, even though it would help all my problems. <laughs> right? After they all rein themselves in, Harry confirms they're all still in the project despite the misgivings. Murphy appears, which is, I, I'm assuming in this, this passage doesn't really like confirm or deny she's overheard the conflict, but she's ready to go and, with her disguise and she's got some Kevlar to boot. So Harry reviews the plan so far. She's got some Kevlar to boot. <laughs> <laughs> McCoy is going to shut down Maver's magic, and they have to handle the Renfields with their guns and dark hounds. 
And then they, then they want to aim for the basement to protect as many bystanders as possible and just to basically kill the vampires. And that's really the majority of Harry's plan, which is not a lot. Kill vampires, save hostages. How much nice, more simple could nice, it be? Nice little outline. like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Which kind of has a fair point. Like, I get that's the overall goal. I was kind of hoping to flesh it out a little bit. That there might be a little bit more details on how to accomplish this. And at least, yeah, Harry kind of has the balls, again, the leadership skills to be like, you know, hire someone smarter than you whenever, right? You don't know how to do this, you hire someone to do So he's like, okay, you've dealt with this a lot more. How do you suggest we handle this? And I mean, again, after the whole just blow everything up, burn it down and blow it up again, they're like, okay, plan B. So what else can we do to make this work? <laughs> and, and Kincaid's like, fine, we'll do it your way, even though it's stupid and whatever and who cares. And like, it's it's... Interesting thing too, because we don't know like how many hostages, what, 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 but like when they were talking about, like when they were first coming into the neighborhood and noticing how depleted and everything it was, and Murphy's having all her things about like how, how do I justify all this? Like, how do we know who the people are and stuff like this? It makes an interesting point about like how fast the the blacks can propagate their species in that too right so it's like we don't know like if they've got a room full of adults down there that have already been like changed into because you know he's like we don't know how long so we know with the white court that they basically grew up like they are born and raised and they have this demonic symbiote inside them that at some point you know, merges, takes over, whatever, right? But they're basically a person. You have to grow them. It takes close to 20 years in yeah, order to like you make just, a white vampire. Yeah, you grow up as a person, right? Until you're, right? Same thing. We don't know exactly how much, how long it takes for the reds to, but obviously it's pretty quick. These are kind of like, again, your Dracula, your Buffy type. You just, you bite them, they die. Instant. Within a day or something, well, yeah, they're going to pop up, And the up, reds, right? reds have to actually kill somebody to become through. the full vampire which and could take then, like we see in Susan's point yeah it exactly. could take a while yeah and like you say sort of a, yeah how instant it is from that I mean it could be almost as fast if like I say you get bit you wake up you kill someone year one but exactly there is between those steps it can be delayed though yeah but that black court definitely sounds like a viral infection is what it sounds yeah, like yeah it's like just pretty much done. good and like you know, like that's what you're saying like you know again if we don't step in now yeah maybe we accidentally take out plain Jane human or a good guy or something but he's, they can go from, you know, a dozen to like a hundred to like two, you know, in like a matter of, you know. Worst th- MLM ever. Right. Totally. And we see already by example in this book that Maverick can send her commands to whoever she's turned and then she and there. And she can like, spread it out across, you know, like with her straight. So little this remote is, commands. Yeah. So, I mean, there is a lot of, of merit in some ways to Kincaid's plan as well. <laughs> like you say, you know, like it might hit him fast, hit him hard. Hit him fast, hit him hard. Don't give him a chance to do anything because again, like, yeah, you're going going in for these hostages but as he says like that was days ago we don't know if the hostages are still there we don't know if they've been eaten. well again we don't know the whole if cutting off turned. the hydra head cutting off one head's not enough exactly you know so yeah they've got all of these the information that they had even just four hours ago could be completely obsolete and no good and they still don't know what the hell they're walking into you know it's like but yeah, so I don't know. Given that he still like comes up with so part of plan for part of Kincaid's plan is the fact that he's got this arsenal on him. Yeah, and he starts handing out weapons, and that would be an illegal weapon. Here you go, Murph. <laughs> Which she takes yeah, like yeah. she she's she is she's moving on. Yeah, he accepts it as the best weapon but, for the situation. Yeah. Well, and she even like says to him like maybe you should have one too. But he's got this wicked, like, creation of a weapon, which is that... that you no, know, I need somebody to draw this for me, too. I, I actually downloaded a picture that lacks the uh, the nub on the end, because I was like, what the fuck is that? But when you do look up a medieval... It's a boar spear from the Middle Ages, and it has a cross crosshatch. Yeah. And that's exactly what he has, except what he's done is he's rigged on two firearms on the on the yeah and the, the, the that's the end. that's what i mean is i and i can't remember if i've gone looking for it because i don't remember if the picture in my head is just my picture in my head or if i did go looking at some point and somebody had like fan art of it but it's one of those it's a little bit like the apartment it just kind of it tends to morph a little bit here and there and i have a hard time it's like with like describing like all the karate moves and fight moves i sometimes have a hard time like picturing how all of that would actually look and yeah, see work. i imagine more of a crossbow and you got spear on the end. You got two shotguns sticking out on the edges. The other end is a trigger point bullshit. Like he's got. So yes, a, he's not even like his shotgun. What, what, what did they fight the civil war with? Bayonets. Yeah. 
it's like stabbing and shooting and incendiaries and... What I found when I was researching this, they actually have a sword version of this, which I thought would have been like more effective because it's got a sword handle on the bottom part. Oh, you see? In addition to the cross on the top. Yeah, Kincaid just also has to carry a machete like a loser. <laughs> <laughs> see, he could have been two in one on, or three in one, I guess, one. because it Four has like... Four or five? Right? He's got a lot He's already on. like seven in one on this, okay? But I mean, yeah, I do get like the spear kind of pike thing, but I always see like, because on this little one that you've got the little cross hatches like right up under the spearhead kind of a thing and I always picture it like lower down like almost like a sword hilt cross where it's like mm, I imagine it a hands. higher like crossbow well then, it, well then it even says it like, right here like cause um, a shaft about five feet long with a cross base thrusting out on two sides at the base of the spear tip a foot and a half of deadly matte black blade as wide as my hand at the base and tapering down to a fine point at the tip. Well, yeah, because it's a cross base thrusting out on two sides at the base of the spear. So yeah. that's where the cross hatch is, is the very yeah. top of it. I guess, yeah. But yeah, enough that he... I mean, he doesn't, and then the, he's he doesn't got a button. A like, this picture that I have doesn't have a button. It's yeah, crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Right. But yeah, exactly. Then it has... And it makes sense for how he's describing how the attack is going to go when he goes into more detail. Because he's going to use that as a sort of a defensive because that cross hatch is what's going to push stop. The, the yeah, away. no, I admit, again, it's just it's I am sense. not like a weapony kind of person. So I don't can't imagine all the, you know, it's like same thing as like a spaceship. I'm like, I don't know what would be the most aerodynamic, you know, I'm, I need somebody. I'm not the artist. I need somebody else to Ooh. render these things. And so I just interesting to kind of put this all together and see kind of how exactly would this work for the, especially like okay. the bulbous. And now I just feel like I got it for you. Okay. I'm going to have it described to you immediately. Mm-hmm. In Mary Poppins, when Bert is playing all those fucking instruments at once, it's exactly like that, but weapons. No. I think there's a name for that thing that he plays, too. Can you imagine the amount of research that Jim Butcher had to do for all these different kind of weapons? Probably not. He's like, a boy in his red, like, sword and fantasy all his whole life. He just, he's been dreaming of this thing since he was, like, nine and a half. Well, well and okay. He doesn't go to, to quite the same d- depth of weaponry dis- descriptions beyond, like, this is his gun. But since Kin- went, once Kincaid comes on scene, we get, like, super descriptions of all these different weapons. And they're all slightly different every time. But this thing is just, Wow. Yeah. Creative. I had to, like, granted, I did have to read this passage over and over and over to, like, conceptualize it. So I totally get where you're talking about. Because when I first read it, I was like, what the fuck? Right. Yeah. You need to go over it a couple of times to figure out. And it really helps to look up what a a medieval boar spear looks like is what helps to sort of figure that out. I know what a spear looks like. Whatever. Stab things. It's fine. Exactly. I, I honestly I don't care what the weapon looks like because Harry succinctly says it all at the end. My dick's bigger than yours. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great moment. He looks at his own, looks at that one, and better. <laughs> well, and especially since yeah, he hands Harry like a paintball gun. So like holy Murphy water and gets, garlic. Which okay is you know, but I mean Murphy at least gets a sawed-off shotgun and yeah, Kincaid has this super duper futuristic military ballistic weapon and he's like, Oh yeah, here I got this for you. Well, they do mention why, because he's they, like we find out from the professionals that they don't think he's good in close quarters, and because of that, they don't want him to hurt them. Beside the point, my dick's bigger than yours. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Justify it all you want. But yes. Kate is stupid, like, prepared. Like, even got, he even has, like, garlic necklaces for each of them. Right. Like, he he is on it. Like, this this was the right guy to hire. Again, when you pay that much money, he better fucking provide the garlic and the holy water. Yeah, right. Although, ultimately, you know, he's just adding that onto the bill anyway. So what the fuck is the (laughs) point? So, yeah, he says it's going to help frighten the hellhounds, too. So, great, thanks. Well, this is like the super soaker version. like Dark (laughs) hounds. They're not hellhounds. These are just dark hounds. Vampire hounds. I guess. Not demon hounds. Heck hounds? I I guess. More heck hounds. So, it's a good enough arsenal for a crappy plan. Yeah, you feel I mean, it's basically just, this is my vampire defense kit. <laughs> we'll figure it out what's going on when we get in there. Yeah. Figures out who's going in first, how they're gonna... Ebenezer's gonna watch the door and wait for their escape whenever the hell that comes from. And potentially keep Mavra a bit under wraps if he can, because they're worried about all her possible wizardy powers. Which, I'm not sure how that works. How's he gonna do that? The magic Just like her. all magic users are just constantly He's just exuding gonna... an aura of magic, and he can just... 
put a chastity belt around it and just... Well, I kind of wondered that, too, because wouldn't that give it away? Like, if, if she's like, I can't feel my magic. Like, I, I feel like if Something's I'm happening. extending my senses out, and I've got such good senses, or in this case, magic, and I'm like, wait, I can't get past the stairs. What the fuck is going on, bitch? Like, I feel like I'd notice that. Or maybe not. Maybe it's just, like, you don't realize your ears are only trying to pick up the things that you're aware of, and you don't realize that you should be able to hear what's happening on the street. You just assume the street is quiet, so there's nothing to hear. Maybe it's like that, and she really won't notice if she's not actively trying to but I still feel like regardless of whether or not it'd be a giveaway to her how do you do that how are you just like okay but they've talked about it before I mean because when they brought this up at breakfast or whatever Kincaid's like oh yeah I was with the group that did that once I was watching the spell slinger until his head blew up or whatever right so we know it can be done and it is a practical sort of but Harry always talks about it is that slimy right it's like he can always recognize the bad magic and the dark magic and the evil power Again, right it feeling feels it different. and purposely barricading it it seems how it's a non-corporeal thing how do you just well, how your you, will how, against how, it yeah how that, did, like harry's yes. already been put into a binding circle like then there's got to be a variation on i was gonna say it's the same. i don't think he even knew that he was in, in, in it until like well, okay. when kk did not it? right away yeah I'll oh say well that's he could hear he, he knew as soon as it went up as soon as he activated the circle he could feel that magical containment around okay. him i will he say it's say. fair the dresden has said you don't have to draw the circle it just absolutely helps to have the visual barrier there right. but if you can do the circle in your mind that's totally acceptable too and i could see Ebenezer being it's like yeah strong enough that he's like yeah I'm gonna visualize a circle in the basement that's right the whole now. mental math right. thing right if you can get good enough to do mental math you're great most of us cannot do big mental math without writing it down that's kind of the circle or the not circle right and it just blows your brain if you don't use the circle and don't know how to well we also already know beyond that that, that McCoy has number one lo- loads of power but that he has way more finesse and experience. again, yeah. he's got that and it's yeah. two, three, four hundred years over Harry too. So yeah, I think that is one of those things that exactly that one. It, it okay, can just I kind can of will that. against will and make. I mean, again, it's the same thing as a shield or the magic circles. You're making a magical barrier against something. We talked myself into understanding. I get it now. Yeah, he can well, totally do that. All right. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll accept the lore. And again, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> all right, butcher. <laughs> you you're okay this time. <laughs> I'm still not happy with your timing, but <laughs> uh, yeah. Kincaid does actually fill in the blanks really quite nicely with with what he's like. Okay, this is your role. This is your role. This is your role. It, absolutely, your you're in yeah. charge of this. You're in charge of that. Let's go. It's it's very good contingency. Yeah. Like it's a it's a three layer plan. Mitch is good, good, right? He's got I, the. I'm happy with it. Yeah. For for how for how like fast and furious they're going in and knowing how the odds are stacked against them. And, and it Murphy works. Murphy here too. She's like, well, why don't we just use stakes? And Kincaid's like, ah, screw stakes. I'd rather <laughs> just take off its head. But I'd like Harry to be like, yeah, I tried that yesterday. It doesn't work. <laughs> tried that last night. Don't even bother. Yeah, by the way, a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> I mean, good plan. Does anyone have any questions? <laughs> yeah. Why do they sell hot dog packages in 10, but hot dog buns in packages of eight? Capitalism. Thanks for asking. <laughs> I actually looked up the reason for that. Apparently it has to do with the tins that the buns are baked in. And they just never bothered changing it. Wow. Yep. Again, that seems like a really lame excuse. I think capitalism is a much better excuse than... They don't want to pay more for more tins. The grosser explanation that I did here is that they expect people to lose one, like, by rolling off and falling and, you know... We just give you some extra One piece for loss, and the other one is people just eating one raw. Yeah. Which, I I was like, ew, gross, no, nobody does that. And then I saw somebody do it. I was like, ew, gross, no. The bun? No, the the, the hot dog. They ate the hot dog raw and cold. They're already cooked. But cold and cold. Ew, they're already cooked. No, you do this, don't you? <laughs> they're pre. I'm, they're pre cooked. Pre cooked. Yes, they are. You, you don't have, have to boil, boil them, them or microwave them. I don't know. It's just they have to cook hot. They're cold. Gross. They're gross when they're cold. Mm, no, not always. It's like lunch this meat. is this is one. <laughs> yeah, of, <laughs> it's like bologna. Yeah. This is another one of those ones like what like the, the, the donuts for breakfast, and you guys are like, what? <laughs> we cannot be bothered to have real breakfast, so we buy donuts. Once again, you are clearly outnumbered. Majority yeah. rules. You can absolutely eat hot dogs cold. It takes way more time and effort to try and warm them up. I know. I'm hungry and now. Then, and then you That's get why the, I bought hot dogs and, and not like ground beef. <laughs> get, yeah. And then you get like those like mixed spots where hot, cold, whatever. But you I can just, see why this is actually why that theory makes sense because one of you guys are going to eat it raw. But I'm not, but you guys. Just well, but if I need to buy buns. Okay. Personally, I'm not going to eat buns anyway, so I'm only eating raw yes. hot dogs. Okay, However, but you could get gluten-free buns. No. But my more but, thinking is that. 
people it should be in people's heads. If I'm gonna eat a cold hot dog, then I'm just gonna have an extra bun. That seems more acceptable in my brain than I have to go and buy like two packets of buns now for one packet of hot dogs, and that's bullshit and not fair. And how dare you guys? Exactly. So by the time you get eight buns and ten, so eight times, so now you need to buy like eighty of everything just to have it equal out. And- <laughs> well, the we- the one website that I actually looked this information up did give the ratio of how many packages you would have to buy. So what each is the minimum? To make it, I, I didn't actually write it down. Ugh. But they, there is, so there, is like that. there is a point though well, that you could will even, even them out. Yeah, eighty it's, obviously it's, is fine at a minimum. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Anyways, thanks, there, Justin. There is an answer to that question. Everyone turns and glares <laughs> so at him, which is like, one. yeah, you're dumb as hell. <laughs> yeah. But hey, yeah, he's just got to have the little tension, comic relief, break the tension. <laughs> I'm going to, I should probably leave off wizarding and chase my dreams of becoming a stand-up comedian. I'd love that. <laughs> it would be awesome. <laughs> hey, can you imagine the kind, like, what would, would it be like, like, that, the bar, the Star Wars bar? Where it's just everybody mix and mingle, right? He's gonna have like Moss Eisley? Yes, Moss Eisley, thank you. And he's gonna have you know, exactly where it's like you got like some vampires in the corner, you got like some worms up front, and he's just like doing it to the whole you know. Would he incorporate or, magic and be well, like, Look, I'm a magician? <laughs> I'd like it to be like his dad's magician. Yeah, or is he gonna be doing it to like the straights and like, you know, the comedy clubs and then he's just trying to like how do you incorporate these cheesy I vampire jokes? Good money with- for Dresden. <laughs> Netflix special. <laughs> Can't be a Netflix special that everyone will just say it was all done with TV magic. <laughs> yeah, and? Well, I guess Copperfield gets away with it. <laughs> yeah, like how even Mama Murphy's like, oh yeah, did I see you on like the Larry Fowler show? He's like, huh, yes. <laughs> Suing you? Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's not fair. You can't even prove anything. <laughs> he's he's going to have he's gonna have a lot more, like, what is it, writers next time he tries to do any kind of TV appearance. He's like, okay, look, we're not going through the this again. The contract went what? from one page let, to 50. Yeah, let me see Copperfield and, like, Chris Angel, and we'll start. He's, yeah, he's, he's totally going to, you know, let's go kill a scourge. This concludes our episode 12.21, Cabrini Conflict. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at briefloramily.com and macanellis.ca. There we have links to our other podcasts, social media, and other fun tidbits. Please subscribe if you like what you're hearing, and please consider supporting us through Patreon to keep the magic alive and to see more content. We are Free Flow Rambling. Conjure by it at your own risk. 